Gracious God, bless our reading of your word, we ask, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Bless the preaching of your word, we ask, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Father, our, pr- our prayer as a helpless people, unless you help us, is that your Holy Spirit, as a good plowman, would come and break up the fallow ground of our hearts, that he, would, he indeed would make the soil good, give us good hearts, so that the word would be sown well in us and take root in us and spring up with strength above and below and to indeed bring forth a harvest of righteousness and fruitfulness to your praise and glory. Father, we pray that it would even please you if there are any among your elect here who are lost and yet dead in their sins, that it would please you this day to grant them to hear your voice, to recognize your authority speaking here in your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would deliver them from the kingdom of darkness today into the kingdom of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 22, I will read, uh, beginning at verse 1, down through uh, verse 23. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. 
And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. This is God's word. The evangelist George Whitfield, who lived 300 years ago, was preaching outdoors once in Exeter, England. In the crowd that day stood a man who had loaded his pockets with rocks. His plan? Throw them at the minister's head. I hope you have better plans today. (laughs) Throw the rocks at the minister's head and silence the word of God. As Whitfield went through the opening prayer, the man waited patiently. When Whitfield announced his sermon text for the day, the man pulled the stone from his pocket, held it in his hand, and watched for that window of opportunity to appear before him. But the living God sent a word into his heart. The stone dropped from his hand, and after the sermon, this same man walked up to George Whitfield and said, Sir, I came to hear you this day with a view to break your head, but the Spirit of God through your ministry has given me a broken heart. For the rest of his life, this man proved to be a true convert of Jesus Christ. The conduct of his life became a witness to his gratitude for the gospel of his salvation. What happened to this man. He starts the day filled with hatred, goes home at the end of the day filled with a love for God, love for God's word, love for God's son, love for God's church. What happened to this man? What happened was the effectual calling. The effectual calling. The scripture says, quote, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Beloved, this is an action of the living God that all believers undergo. We are called effectually, meaning it is, there's no failure when God calls. The effectual calling of God 
will come to all souls in this age whom God has purposed to save before the ages began. It is a calling that no one can resist when it comes to him or to her. It is not the same as the universal calling, which can be resisted and indeed is resisted. Our Lord speaks of the universal calling himself when he says, many are called, but few are chosen. But this is the effectual calling. This calling always prevails, always succeeds, always triumphs. It cannot be resisted. When it comes, it always renews the will, and even the most hardened sinner always comes to Christ and comes freely, having been made willing by God's grace to do so. This is the effectual calling. The effectual calling does not come to all souls, but to those whom it does come, to those whom it does come, it never fails. And it has come to all you believers. It came to some of you when you were small children. It came to some of you when you were teenagers. It came to some of you when you were old. And it shall come to all whom God has purposed to save. They are the elect of God. They will be called effectually. This is why Peter says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. 2 Peter 1.10 So everyone who has come and ever will come to Christ by faith comes because of this effectual calling. Sometimes it will be dramatic, like the man with pockets full of stones. Sometimes it will be quiet, like Timothy, learning from his mother Lois. But either way, God must call into the soul if anyone is to be forever united to Christ. And you will know he has called you not because you have heard an audible voice over a loudspeaker. You will know because God's Spirit has convinced you of your sin and misery, and God's Spirit has enlightened you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and God's Spirit has persuaded and enabled you to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not just someone else's Savior, but as your Savior. Now, in our reading from Acts 22, we heard Paul tell of his being effectually called. And you should know that Paul frequently in his other letters references this day when he was called, when he was on his way to Damascus and he saw the brilliant, radiant light of Jesus Christ and his life was changed forever. He references this in 1 Peter chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 3, and several other places, Paul's own conversion experience is not just his being commissioned as an apostle, but it is also his being converted by the effectual calling of the living God. It is foundational to his theology. In fact, he says in 1 Peter 1 that God showed him so much mercy, someone who was the worst of sinners, 
so that all men would know the great mercy of salvation when such a wretched man like Paul was converted. <clears throat> now we heard his conversion story as he laid it out before an angry crowd of his own countrymen, the Jews of Jerusalem. And we're going to look at what Paul said, and we're going to see today four major parts of being effectually called. Those are not all the parts, but we're going to look at four major parts. But we must start with this question. Why does the Lord want us to hear about the effectual calling of Paul? The answer to that question is the same answer to this one. Why does Paul think the Jews of Jerusalem need to hear about his effectual calling to Christ? Here's why. So they too, and us too, might come to boast in God's saving grace and stop boasting in ourselves. That's why. God saves sinful men and women not because they are ready to be saved or ripe to be saved or of the right background or of the right ethnic group or of the right religion. God saves because he is gracious and powerful to save. He saves his enemies. He saves people far from him. He saves people who hate him. He saves people who hate his truth, who hate his righteousness. He comes when and where he pleases. And he calls people into saving union with his son. People who have done nothing to deserve being called and have done much not to deserve it. But even so, they are called. Even though they are up to their gills in the wrong religion, he comes and saves them and brings them through the narrow needle hole of truth. And on the other side, they become true Christians. He doesn't wait until the fish are cleaned to catch them. He catches them by his power and then cleans them. Now, what happens if we do not learn to boast in this kind of grace? We see what happens in verse 22 of our text. We see a crowd of religious men despise and reject the message and messenger of grace. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. The Jews reject Paul because they just, just heard him say, Jesus had sent Paul to preach saving grace to the Gentiles. These Jews hated that. If Gentiles can be saved, then what advantage is there to being Jewish? They were persuaded Gentiles did not deserve God's salvation. This was an old heresy in the heart of the Jew. You see it in Jonah, but the Lord will convert that prophet without his help. They were persuaded Gentiles did not deserve God's salvation, which means these Jews thought they did deserve it. Because they were Jews, trying to keep the laws of the Jews. They didn't want salvation to come through the kindness and mercy of Jesus Christ. They wanted it to come through Jewish works. 
through their Jewish culture, through their Jewish ethnic heritage. That is not why God called and made them a people, to get them to boast in themselves to the point where they are now full of hate for the prophet of God, the Apostle Paul, who refuses to polish their works righteousness and tells them about Jesus Christ. That is not why God made them a people. Paul, a Jew himself, is showing them salvation is by grace alone, through Christ alone. Paul is showing them that they too, even though they hate Jesus, they too can still be called to Jesus, God willing. Now this brings us to the parts of effectual calling for today. And I already kind of warned you that we're coming to this conversion story again in Acts 26. I promise not to preach the exact same sermon when we get there. But the parts. Part one, effectual calling is always of God's free and special grace. Verses three through five of our text, notice that Paul presents his credentials. He speaks of being born a Jew. He speaks of being raised in Jerusalem. He speaks of being educated under Gamaliel, a famous rabbi at the time. He speaks of being zealous for the law. By the way, Gamaliel was one of the top two rabbis in all of Jerusalem. Paul speaks of being zealous for the law. He speaks of being aggressive in persecuting Christians. He speaks of receiving letters from the high priest and council to arrest other Jews and other cities who had begun worshiping Jesus. Paul was given authority by the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. He was at a time a top man in Judaism some 20 to 30 years before he's giving this speech in Acts 22. But all these things, which look like great advantages for a Jewish man like Paul before God, all these things which look like great advantages, none of it, none of it, not an iota of it, brought him to Jesus Christ. That's a scandal. In fact, he was opposed to Christ, wasn't he? He would have crucified Christ Jesus all over again. Just like he helped kill Stephen the deacon back in Acts 7. Paul's religious life was carrying him away into darkness because the religious life that Paul was steeped in before his conversion was a religious life where he thought it entitled him to God's salvation. That's why some religious people can be such jerks. Because they think that all of their religious participation is the foundation of their salvation. And they are as cold as a dead fish towards Jesus Christ but they are as hot as a fire towards the things they have done. And they will let you know about it. And they will be glad to tell you how you haven't done what they have done. His religious life did nothing to prepare him for the effectual calling of God. On the contrary, it prepared Paul for God's wrath. He didn't need some adjustments. Paul needed a 
miracle. His mountain of religious works could not produce what God's effectual calling easily produced by free and special grace. When the call came, Paul embraced Christ and never let go. He then became truly religious for the first time in his life, loving God and loving his neighbor from the heart to his own hurt. So part one of effectual calling is God's grace. No one deserves to be called. God doesn't call those who are ripe and ready. He calls his enemies. Here is how the Westminster Confession of Faith explains it. Chapter 10, Article 2. This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, who is altogether passive therein, until, being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. That's part one. Part two. Part two. Effectual calling always convinces us of our sin and misery. Look at verse 7 and 8. When Jesus from heaven interrupts Paul's journey to Damascus, he did so with a great light. A light so great, even at noon hour, that Paul later says it was brighter than the sun. Acts 26, 13. Everyone in Paul's traveling party fell to the ground. Light so heavy, they wanted to hide. And from out of that radiance, Jesus spoke clearly only to Paul, who at the time went by his old name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The God of heaven brought his word of judgment to the soul of the man he was coming to save. This is always part of the effectual call. Paul needed to be convinced of his sin and misery. He thought everything he was doing in his life was right. He thought the way he was living was right. He never quarreled with himself. He thought putting Jewish Christians in jail was showing a special obedience to God that few of his kinsmen were willing to show. He was certain the Christian gospel was heresy, but he was about to come to a completely different and new opinion of himself. This is always part of effectual calling. The Holy Spirit brings the truths of Judgment Day to your soul before you appear at Judgment Day. It's an eschatological salvation. The Spirit convinces us we are sinners, the sinners the Word of God says we are, and then we see our great need for the Savior, and then we see him. This is always part of effectual calling. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, explained it this way, For until a person is awakened as to the state and condition he is in, he will not desire, nay, will not endure to be turned to God. 
but when in truth he is made to see what condition sin hath brought him to, namely that it hath laid him under the power of sin, the tyranny of the devil, the strength of death, and the curse of God by his holy law, then is mercy sweet. Convincing us of our sin is always part of the effectual call. Jesus recognizes what we do not, that our sin against him is sin, our sin against the church is sin against him. Our rejection of his law is rejection of him. Our our rejection of the gospel is a rejection of Jesus. No matter what kind platitudes you have for Jesus at a cocktail party, Our rejection of the sacraments is a rejection of him. Our rejection of his servants is a rejection of him. Our rejection of his lowliest worshipers is a rejection of him. And he brings this judgment to the soul of the man he is calling before your ears, Paul. These are the very sins he convinces us of when he comes to save us of them, from them, of their penalty, from their dominion. He comes to be our savior for these very real sins. And it is this very mercy that ends up melting our hearts to obey him. That's part two. Effectual calling always convinces us of our sin and misery. Part three. Effectual calling always enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ. Always. There is no effectual calling if you just hate yourself for sinning. That's not an effectual call. The effectual call is always a call to Christ. Therefore, it includes always an enlightening of the mind in the knowledge of Christ. Look at verse 6 through 11. Notice how often Paul refers to light in those verses. Verse 6, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Verse 9, now those who were with me saw the light. Verse 11, I could not see because of the brightness of that light. Then when Paul finally gets to Damascus, eyes are dead. He's blind, being led by the hand. When he finally gets to that city, a man named Ananias comes and speaks to him about the same light, but without using the word light. Verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. Jesus is the light. Jesus shines upon Paul from heaven to teach all of us what he, Jesus, must do in each of us to become believers. He must shine within us, by his spirit, revealing to our minds that he, Jesus, is the true glory of God. He is the true image of God. He is the true salvation of God. In his death and resurrection, Jesus is revealed as the true wisdom of God, the true righteousness of God, the true priest of God, the true temple of God, his cross the true power of God, his empty tomb, the true vindication of God, his ascension and enthronement, the true kingdom of God. This light is shining into Paul, enlightening his mind in the knowledge of Christ. 
This is what the Spirit shines into the minds of all whom he convinces of sin. So we look to none other for our salvation, but to Jesus. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. That's what he does in the effectual call whenever he calls us effectually. Whether it is when we were a child, a teenager, or old, all who will be called will have this enlightenment in their mind of the knowledge of Christ. It is no salvation to grieve for sin. It is salvation to grieve for sin and rest in the arms of Jesus Christ, to run into the shelter that is Jesus Christ. And he is so zealous for you to be using him as a shelter and refuge. That's part three. Part three. Part four now. Effectual calling persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. Effectual calling always persuades and enables us to reach out and embrace Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. Look at verse 16. This is what Ananias said. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Calling on his name. That verse 16 shows that not only was Paul embraced by the grace of Jesus Christ, but that same grace persuaded and enabled Paul to embrace Jesus Christ himself. Being converted as an adult, baptism was the sacrament in the church by which Paul was to confirm that God had done a gracious work in his heart. As an adult, it was Paul's willing response to Christ. It was Paul's embrace of Christ. And we do the same thing when we come to the Lord's Supper. We willingly profess our faith and willingly take from Christ his body and blood. It is the way we continue to embrace Christ by faith. Beloved, this is always part of effectual calling. The sinner is not just embraced and then never seen again. He is embraced by Jesus and then he embraces according to the ordinances of Christ's kingdom. The sinner's will, you see, has been renewed and he begins to use it, this renewed will. He wants to rest his soul in Christ. He wants to confess Christ before men. The sinner has been made willing, and so he willingly calls on the name of Jesus for all of his benefits. Michael Horton explained our new willingness this way. Regeneration or effectual calling is something that happens to those who do not have the moral capacity to convert themselves. Yet it not only happens to them, it happens within them, winning their consent. Winning their consent. But let's make sure we understand something. Being enabled and persuaded to embrace Jesus is not just about our justification. It is also about our sanctification. In the effectual calling, we embrace the whole Christ. 
In Latin, John Calvin called this the duplex gratia, the double grace, the grace of justification and the grace of sanctification. You cannot have one without the other because they are both of the person, Jesus Christ, whom the Spirit makes you willing to embrace. So you embrace Jesus for his imputed righteousness, where your sins are pardoned and forgiven, and you embrace Jesus for his holiness, where your crooked life starts to straighten on a long obedience in the same direction. But you are willingly embracing these double graces in Jesus Christ because your will has been renewed and you have been persuaded and enabled to embrace him. John Murray, in his excellent 1955 book, and I confirmed there's a copy in the library, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, Murray said, the life into which the people of God are ushered is one that separates them from the fellowship of this present evil world and imparts to them a character consonant with that consecration. And then he added this sentence. If we find ourselves at home in the ungodliness, lust, and filth of this present world, it is because we have not been called effectually by God's grace. Because the call is always effectual. Doesn't mean that you will always be the Christian you want to be. <laughs> but it does mean that you are willing to follow Christ and confess even your sins as a Christian. But not to be at home in ungodliness, lust, and filth. Now, we have not covered every part. That was the fourth part. We have not covered every part there is in effectual calling. If you want to rush right to the homework, there's a chapter on effectual calling in the Westminster Confession of Faith. You could study question 31 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism and look at both of those for the proof text in the Bible to see how this is so well taught in the scriptures, Old and New Testaments. Now, I have not, I have not said what I ought to say if I had more time. I have not said much about the outward calling, which is the word. That's why Jesus is speaking to Paul. And I have not said much about the inward calling, which is the Spirit. But I want to close today by doubling down on what we started with, the grace which undergirds the effectual calling. Because this was the grace that the Jews who want to tear Paul to pieces reject. They can't see this grace. In fact, they don't want to see it. Because you know what? They want to see something else. They want to see all of their religious works and religious heritage and all of their history. They want that to fill their vision, not a gracious redeemer. So let's double down on that. And here, I think, is a, perhaps the best way for me to do this. By saying this, Paul was not called by God to Christ because Paul was a man of faith. That is not why he was called effectually. Paul's faith in Christ was given to him as a consequence of being effectually called, not as a prerequisite. 
Paul was a busy, austere, serious, involved Jewish man. And whatever way we would define what kind of faith he had when he was that man, he did not have faith in a gracious redeemer. And God did not call him because he had faith in a gracious redeemer. He didn't. God called him because God is a gracious redeemer. Faith does not precede the gracious call of God. Faith follows after it. Herman Witsius, a Dutch theologian, 400 years old now. You find him. (laughs) Herman Witsius said, It is not true that faith and perseverance are prerequisite conditions before a person can have any of the fruits of Christ's satisfaction. For regeneration itself and effectual calling, which go before actual faith, are the fruits of Christ's most excellent satisfaction. Christ's satisfaction is his mediation as the crucified Savior. It is by his mediation as a crucified Savior that he has purchased this grace that comes in the effectual call and makes the heart new and alive and then gives it faith to see that Jesus Christ is to be laid hold of. Beloved, this is a deeper grace. This is a sovereign grace. This is a grace you can never earn but only receive. It is the grace of salvation. And what this means is that the grace of effectual calling is greater than any grace we may have thought of. The effectual call comes not because God foresees that a man will respond to it in a certain way. That's not why it comes. It comes in such power and effectiveness that it always creates the proper response. But why does it come? Why does it come? The answer is in the golden chain of Romans 8, 29, and 30. We learn much about the effectual call in the golden chain. For those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The effectual call comes because something has come before it. A predestinating grace. God chose us before the foundation of the world to be united by faith to Jesus Christ. Before we have done anything good or bad, before we were even born, God chose us. We had to then be born. We had to then be called because there is a deeper grace. Beloved, let me urge you to bathe yourselves in this grace. Wash regularly in this deeper grace of the predestination and effectual call of God so that you do not get the film of boasting on you. Where you start to think like the Jews that want to tear Paul apart. Where you start to think that because you're reformed, you 
clearly deserve more grace. (laughs) What a lie. Or because you are white Americans, you clearly deserve more grace. Or because you vote the way you do, you clearly deserve more grace. Lies, all lies. You deserve nothing but wrath. But God, in his great predestinating love, chose to put his grace on you and recover you from sins, misery, and blight, break you out of Satan's bondage, and call you to his beloved son, and clothe you in a righteousness that cannot be taken away. Bathe yourself in this grace. Bathe others in it. Stay near to it. It will melt your heart. And you will be like this apostle. Do you see him in this text? He is standing before a mob that wants to rip him to pieces. And he's willing to stand closer to them. He doesn't want to be carried off into the barracks. He wants to save them. Even if one of them will throw a rock from the crowd and break his head, he stays and draws near to his persecutors. Because hasn't he just told them that his great Savior drew near to his persecutor in saving Paul? Jesus embraced his persecutor and kissed him with eternal life. That's why Paul is standing so close to his persecutors and not hightailing it to bulletproof glass. How could a man be made like this? Not by his works, but by the grace of the effectual call. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the grace that has come and called us out of death like Lazarus, that has called us when we were enemies at war with you, a grace that came not because you foresaw who would believe on you anyway, but a grace that came because you chose us to be recipients of it by the mystery of your love, not by any loveliness you saw in us. You made us lovely by setting your love upon us. We thank you and we praise you for the sovereign grace that calls sinners. And if there are any here today, Lord, again, we pray. We pray, Father, for them first, that they would not think that you wouldn't call one like them. All the terrible things they have done that they would never dare mention in a room like this because they are so ashamed. Yet you know them all. You know everything, even things they have forgotten. And you will call sinners just like them, just to testify and prove to men that it is your grace and mercy which saves, not the works, not the rightness of men. Oh, Lord, may you call them. May it please you to do so according to your purpose. And Father, we pray also for the rest of us that we would never slip into the lie we see ruling the mob in this text of thinking that there's a group of people who are, 
who are so deep in sin, so far away in darkness that they could never benefit from the good news of salvation. Oh Lord, save us from such a damnable lie. For it only confirms that we think that there are some men good enough to be saved. Forgive us for picking up such a satanic thought. And may we then have boldness and grace to go and tell anyone the good news of salvation. Father, we do ask that you would bathe us in, our, in this same grace that we've spoken of today. Wash us in this sovereign love so that we would be greatly humbled that you have come to us and that this would turn into a fiery gratitude that would consecrate us to your service for the remainder of our days and make us true friends of a lost world. In Jesus' name, amen.